Friday. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. I'm Jonathan. Hi guys, I'm Coco. One of the things that I noticed is that uh, because of the fact that the turns in Cottage Garden so quick, go so quickly and so smoothly, the little bit disruptions, like remembering to iterate the die, make mm-hmm. it from a one to a two, from a two to a three, I kept forgetting to do that. Mm-hmm. You are not a person who forgets things. Not when it comes to board games, typically. I'm the one who reminds people to do the stuff mm-hmm. that they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yes. And that, <laughs> that that's actually one case where the smooth, easygoing design of the game can also be kind of a bit of an issue. Yeah, because it, the thing sort of rolls so smoothly and you saw I've, I've, I've selected my little flower pot and placed it in my, my thing and now I'm going to move the dice over la, la, and you forget to, because the dice is not a randomizer, it's a nope. counter mm-hmm. and you forget to switch that counter. That's how I think that's the thing that has happened most frequently to me when I play the game. And there are different rules for when you have three players versus two players versus four players there as well in mm-hmm. terms of how that works. Mm-hmm. When you, depending on the number of players you have, you, you start the die higher. You start it at two or one. If I'm not mistaken, because right. because that way um, everybody because if if um, since you move it only one space per turn, if we have mm-hmm. four players, it'll take like eight turns for it to get all the way around. It would take sixteen turns to get around mm-hmm. if we had uh, two players. Mm-hmm. No, it's half that four versus eight. Anyway, numbers are hard, people. It's it's okay. It's fine. When in doubt, um, cats and wheelbarrows. This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. Um, so this, uh, this yeah, it serves to regulate how long the game is going to be, make mm-hmm. it so that it won't be freakishly long when mm-hmm. you have a smaller number of players, and it won't be way too short when you have uh, a larger player count. And, and like ultimately, it's kind of a brilliant way to ensure that the game can be played relatively seamlessly between you know four players versus two players versus even one player. Except that it's just confusing for people because they're like, "What do I roll the dice for?" Exactly. The uh, one of the things that um, that that I have a tendency to I, I wind up having to say a lot at the cafe is that when you see the numbers 2-4 or 2-5 on a game box, there's a very good chance that that's a lie. Because, <laughs> I mean, publishers are under pressure to make money, of course. And uh, we, we talked about this before. That you have to be able to put that number 2 on the box to be able to sell your game to couples, mm-hmm. which is a significant audience. Mm-hmm. This is one of those happy cases where it's not a lie. It's really wonderful. Two-player cottage garden is just, is just as good as three- or four-player cottage garden. It mm-hmm. really is. But is it as good as two-player patchwork? Better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason besides wheelbarrow full of cats that that is true? I mean, for one, I'm offended that you think wheelbarrow full of cats in and of itself is not a good enough reason. But for two... Hey, cute little quilt pieces are also adorable. They have feelings. I have a confession. And I will hear nothing... What? I think the design of patchwork is ugly. That's because quilts are ugly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but they're okay, adork- so we're in they're, ad- they're adorkably ugly. No, they, I think they, they it- look silly. As you're, you're taking all these random scraps of hand me downs and stuff, and you're putting it together into something that's made. Yes, it's ugly, but it's made with love and affection and care for somebody who you really like and who you have to give a Christmas present to anyway at some point. And you put so much time and effort yeah. into it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think you're missing quilt. Nope. You, you, just, you're, still- you're missing the point of quilting, no, but Coco. The, no, but Jonathan, I can't actually sleep under a patchwork quilt you see because yes, you can. a blanket made of tetrominoes is deeply uncomfortable anyway what i'm saying if is they're cardboard point number cats t- made of cardboard don't purr i'm just gonna put that out there they do in my imagination <laughs> anyway listen i have a point the second okay. which is my actual point which is that in patchwork 
you only score once at the end of the game. Yes. And if you're like me, you spend the entire game thinking you're going to lose and then have that feeling confirmed for you at the end of the match by like, like, I think I'm doing just fine. And then I have like negative a kajillion points and my mom or someone embarrassing has like absolutely destroyed me. How does this not happen in Cottage Garden as well? Because in Cottage Garden, you score your plots every time you complete them. So you complete your plots and you keep scoring as you go. You have a sort of sense throughout the entirety of the game how you're doing because you're score- you are moving your little score tracker each time you are filling in a plot, which might happen like half a dozen to over a dozen times during the game, depending on how quickly or with how many people you're playing. True, but with those five-point bonuses at the end, mm. with the penalties that you get at the end of the game, with the beehives, with all the other various little things that chime in, and with the fact that you have to add up six numbers to get your final score, plus all these other bonuses, I often feel, uh, towards the middle of a game of Patchwork, that I have a clearer sense of how well I'm doing than I do partway through a game of Cottage Garden. Maybe. Because the scoring is less obscured. It's clear. Oh, I get I one point for every button, minus two for every empty space, the end. With Cottage Garden, I have to add up six numbers and I have to include all these other factors as well. To well, me, that makes the score more obscure, not uh, less. I, I don't know. I just find oh, we didn't we didn't mention the beehives earlier. Hmm. If you get if you get your if you get one of your uh, trackers to the end, it's twenty mark. If you get there first, you get a little two beehive thing. If you get there second, you get a little one beehive thing, and they're worth either two points or one at the end of the game. They also serve as a tiebreaker, which is handy. They do, but I think where the things that can happen at the end of the game with with Cottage Garden being like a one or two point bonus, I just don't find those as difficult. Like you can you can watch as you're going where your score is. Whereas I find patchwork, I'm not going to continuously be counting my buttons and my empty spaces. And then I must confess that until like 30 seconds ago when you explained it, I didn't know the scoring thing of patchwork because I was just <laughs> doing it on the app. So I'm playing the app and then I get to the end of the app and I'm like, ne- I somehow have negative points, which is inconceivable to me because I feel like I've been crushing it the whole time. So yeah, I really enjoy in Cottage Garden that there is a regular sense of completing your plot, scoring your plot, starting on a fresh plot. Whereas in Patchwork, I just feel like it's this ticking time bomb to the end where I inevitably have like a weird three square empty space in the middle that I just can't fill. Having those weird little empty spaces isn't such a bad thing as long as they're empty. It's the big spaces that kill you in patchwork. What yeah. it ultimately comes down to is how much did I fill in? Mm-hmm. The um, When I'm explaining the rules to that one, it's like, okay, your score is how many buttons do you have? Minus two for every empty space. And it's that second part that's going to get you. Yeah. So your top priority is to fill in as much of your quilt as you can. Your second priority is to get lots of buttons. Cottage garden. Well, let's see. You want to get cloches. You want to get kittens. You want to get um, no, flower but you pots. Can't, you can't say second you want priority. To, you want to... You, you want to finish just before the end of round five so you can have only one or two flower beds in each of your plots before we start the pivotal sixth round where people start losing points that they've earned previously. And you also want to get one to the 20, but you also want to get to cross over the red line. I think I think the issue here is that patchwork is just as complex as Cottage Garden, except that you have to pay more attention to that stuff up front in Cottage Garden, whereas you don't in patchwork. Because like in Patchwork, you can say that getting buttons is second priority, except that it's not, because if you don't get buttons off the top, then you have low income for the rest of the game, and it's hard to acquire the good pieces that you need to fill in. So then like, you have to... The turn order works differently in Patchwork. We have to like walk around that weird spiral death thing. I don't know. I just <laughs> And then like if you want to earn that bonus single square, then you have to get to the certain point before your opponent does, and like, the passing and the points. I find the upfront complexity of Cottage Garden easier for me to navigate and it makes it a more enjoyable game because I'm willing to spend the effort up front for the sort of smoothness and Mm. clarity moving forward whereas Patchwork lets you not know for sure what you're up to until the end and then you're probably going to be okay 
It's possible that this um, difference in perspective arises mm. in part from where we come at these games from. Because mm-hmm. most of the time when I'm dealing with them, it's because I'm teaching them. Right. My impression, I'm not sure if this is correct or not, is that in your case, mostly it's because you're playing them. If I'm And if I'm teaching them, I'm teaching them to a group of friends or a family. And, and you're not. just about to play it with them. Exactly. I'm about to play it with them so I can you know clear up any cat wheelbarrow related incidents as necessary (laughs) from from my point of view uh, I need to be able to fire and forget I need to be Mm. able to teach the game to a group and then go away and have them be able to manage entirely on their own from then on uh, without having to ask questions of their server or whoever else is there who Mm. may or may not be able to take care of those and I might or might not be in the middle of another teach while I'm doing this so um, my guess is that for most of our listeners they're more likely to be in your position than in mine Mm -hmm. that's fair so Cottage Garden may actually be the better two-player game in that case, even though, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm much more likely to bring out Patchwork to teach a, a group of people who are new to modern games mm, than I am to bring out Cottage Garden. I do, though, think that having you can sort of scaffold one or the other. Someone who knows Patchwork will have an easier time, I think, with the, with the stuff around Cottage Garden. Will they, though? Because they have know. to unlearn a few things as well. Mm. Um, it's, this is why I find, for example, Seven Wonders is really difficult to teach to a group of Settlers of Catan players. Right. Because the resources don't work the way that they expect them to. Mm. Not only do they have to learn a new game, they have to unlearn an old game because they expect right. things to be a certain way. Right. Um, although there are certain transferable skills, like being able to fill in those shapes and figuring out how to... Uh, you know, how to ma- how to maximize your points? Right. It's a different set of rules, mm-hmm. and um, it might actually be just as difficult, if not more difficult, for someone who's used to patchwork or cottage garden to learn to play the other. Right. So on the surface, like on the surface, they're quite similar. You're mm-hmm. taking a Tetrisy type thing and putting it in a spot. But Odds are good the... they'll appeal to the same kinds of players too. Certainly, if you like one, there's a very good chance you'll like the other. Mm-hmm. But the sort of the deeper scoring intricacies for sure are, are complicated because so you do have to unlearn those. That's right. Yeah, it won't necessarily make it easier for you to learn how to mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. For me, though, I just think there are room. There is room for both on my shelf. Oh yeah, I have absolutely, uh, and even even with two players, like mm-hmm. I I love playing Patchwork the app on my iPad or my partner's iPad. Let's be real. Uh, <laughs> and my sister and my mom have an ongoing Patchwork tournament that they play remotely. Uh, but my mom and dad regularly play Cottage Garden on the table at home. It's hard to talk about. Or for me, it's really easy to talk about Patchwork and Cottage Garden both being made by the same designer because people really clock really quickly that they're mm-hmm. so similar, in, at least in outward appearance. But Uwe Rosenberg is a prolific and storied designer, right? He really is. And he tends to get into... Um, he gets obsessed with a certain idea mm. and just does it over and over again, refining it and uh, and just trying to polish it to the you know purest nugget that he can get. That doesn't sound like anyone I know. Mm. So um, it's obviously Agricola is still probably his most famous design. Right. And worker placement games. What happened one day is that he was designing stuff like Bonanza, you know, Mm -hmm. the games with a lot of interaction between players, a lot of negotiation. And um, then he played Kalos. And, at, you know, the clouds opened up and choirs of angels sang, <laughs> and he saw his true purpose in life, worker placement games. <laughs> so along comes Agricola, along comes La Havre, along comes Oret Labora, along comes one after another, after mm-hmm. another, after another. And um, I, I guess people started saying, Uwe, could you please design a different game? <laughs> and... I don't know, maybe he played Tetris and mm. the clouds opened and choirs of angels sang mm. and here comes Patchwork and here comes Cottage Garden, here comes Indian Summer, here comes uh, Feast for Odin. Mm-hmm. All of these, incidentally, if you want to continue on the trajectory of more complicated games with Tetraminos, Feast for Odin, super expensive, but also it's pretty much the ultimate 
game of putting Tetris-shaped pieces together to fill stuff in. I want to give that one a shot. But yeah. uh, we don't know a lot about Indian Summer yet, right? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's beautiful. Imagine um, a cottage garden in autumn mm. with all the explosive color mm. that you can, you can imagine from that filling it's up your like forest floor. It's like leaves on a forest le- floor, oh. yeah? Yeah. Um, I have no idea how it plays, but I'm really looking forward to finding mm-hmm. out because mm-hmm. it's so pretty. Yeah. Uh, Feast for Odin is less directly attractive, but again, it's got this very uh, Norse sort of feel to it with uh, you know, Viking trophies and feeding your clans and all this stuff. So I guess you, if you're putting together the uh, the resource management stuff that you get from his worker placement games with the Tetramino stuff that you get from Patchwork and Cottage Garden, mm-hmm. that's where this sort of seems to combine. He's, so he's, he's uniting his various different obsessions. Now all we have to do is combine that with a negotiation game involving beans. So we need a negotiation game involving beans and like a, a Norse burial... Norse bean trading Tetris game. Make it happen, Where Uwe. the Vikings are actually cats. Yes. In a wheelbarrow. Out Can we gl- trademark this now? Thank you for listening to us this week. I hope that you listened and went out and bought some cottage garden for your friends and family and all the cats in your life. Thanks, Coco. And thank you, Tim, for providing the sound effects from earlier this week. <laughs> you can get in touch with us at podcast at snakesandlattes.com to say hi, to suggest a topic, or to let us know anything else that's on your mind. Snake's cast is produced by Dax Audio and music is provided by Ben Sound. Tune in next week when we're going to talk about the differences between Euro versus American style. Uh, the opinions expressed on the Snake's cast are those of the presenters and our guest and nobody else's. See you next week, everyone. Mm-hmm.